Hey, Joe, what's on the agenda today? Well, today we're going to try and tenuously link Harry Markovitz, thematic investment funds and Edith Piaf. Are we going to regret this? Knowing us, quite possibly. Welcome to Decision Nerds. I'm Paul Richards. And I'm Joe Wiggins. In this podcast, we analyse decisions, where they can go wrong and how we can make them more effectively. We talk with researchers and industry experts about the art and science of understanding human behaviour. If you want to understand yourself, your team, or board better, there's something here for you. So, Paul, do you want to explain today's tenuous link? Well, today we're talking about regret, an emotion that has the ability to hijack our decision-making in multiple ways. Now, that gives us Edith Piaf. Joe, fancy giving the audience your karaoke version of Je ne regret rien? Whenever I've done karaoke, I've always regretted it, as has anyone listening. Well, uh, I think that's a sad day for the pod that we're not going to get to hear it, but we'll crack on. Now, although Edith claims not to have regretted anything, most of us do. We regret decisions we've made in the past, and it can play a part in our decision-making in the present. And one class of people who this might particularly apply to is investors in thematic funds. Joe, can you summarize their challenge for us? Yeah, so I've recently written a blog post about thematic funds. So these are investment funds that are focused on particular in vogue segment of the market. It might be technology companies, water, brick economies in emerging markets, or most recently AI funds. And the track record in general of these types of funds is terrible. And that's not surprising because if a fund is launched about a particular theme, it's probably safe to say that there's already a lot in the price. Investors are persistently attracted to these funds despite their history. And I think one reason for this, which I didn't write about in my blog, is the impact of regret. I think it certainly has a powerful influence on why we invest in these types of funds. So these funds are built on vivid and compelling narratives and stories and have fantastic historic performance. So we have this huge fear of future regret. What if I miss out on the next big thing when it's staring me in the face? What if I don't invest in in an AI fund? It would be unforgivable to see everyone else making money but me. So that feeling and that powerful impact of regret can lead us into quite poor choices. And fear of missing out brings us nicely onto Harry Markowitz. Sadly, he passed away a few weeks ago, but at a ripe old age of 95, and he was working till right near the end. For the non-finance people listening, Harry Markowitz was a Nobel Prize winning economist who died, whose ideas on how to build efficient portfolios drives the thinking of most investors worldwide. There's a really interesting story about Markowitz that not many people know. As a US academic, his pension plan gave him the option of splitting his investments between equities and bonds. How did he organize his portfolio? Well, in later life, he very candidly admitted to a journalist that he knew what he should have done. He should have thought about risk, return and correlation and built a portfolio around his specific objectives. But that isn't what he actually did. It turns out he simply split his portfolio 50-50. And the reason that he gave to the journalist was that he just couldn't bear the regret if he was wrong. And the moral of the story is that if regret can impact someone as smart and as knowledgeable as Harry Markowitz, then we're all likely fair game. We certainly are. And I think, Paul, we are the perfect pair to talk about this subject because you're an expert in the literature and theory around regret and I'd consider myself to be something of a specialist in regretting things. Well, consider yourself to be on the analyst couch. Regret is a challenge for all of us. We're all human and I certainly think for both of us, our natural default tendencies probably put us at the more regretful end of the spectrum. We'll talk about some of our tribulations and maybe how we manage them as we go through the pod. 
Well, why don't you kick us off with a summary of some of the psychology around regret and we can then look at the specific challenges that we all face. So first of all, let's define regret. In simple terms, it's the emotion that we feel when we realise that we could have done better if only we had decided differently. It's a backward-looking emotion signalling an unfavourable evaluation of a decision. I think we all know it feels unpleasant and there's always an element of self-blame involved. Importantly, regret links the past, the present and the future. When we've experienced regret, it makes us think more carefully about future choices. And ultimately, that's the reason why evolution has kept it going in us. Yeah, the problem is we live in a world of counterfactuals, what-ifs and paths not taken, and that impacts how we reflect on previous choices and make future decisions. So regret might make me dwell on a path that I've not taken, a choice I didn't make, and it might also lead me to make a defensive decision because I want to limit my future regret. Yep, it's absolutely everywhere. And interestingly, this shows up in the research that looks at emotion expression. For example, back in the 80s, I think a researcher looked at verbal expressions of emotion, and regret was certainly the top negative emotion expressed. And actually, it was second only to love in the overall list. Daniel Pink actually gives a nice example of the, the emotional force of regret in his aptly named book, The Power of Regret. So he refers to a study that looked at the reactions of athletes finishing Olympic finals. And participants in the study were asked to look at the faces of gold, silver and bronze medalists immediately after the end of their race and rate them from one to 10 on a scale from agony to ecstasy. So one if they looked agonized and 10 if they were ecstatic. The average rating for athletes finishing in the bronze medal positioning, so finishing third was 7.1. And the rating on average for people finishing in second place in the silver medal position was 4.8. So the regret counterfactual is far more painful for the person finishing second place because they're thinking, I could have won. The person finishing in bronze, they're thinking, I could have finished fourth and not got a medal at all. So despite the people in second having a better result, they looked as if they were more anguished, more upset, more disappointed with the result than the people who finished behind them. I certainly had similar emotions um, coming second in the parents' race at my daughter's sports day. Well, actually, I have to confess, I've had a couple of regretful experiences at my children's sports days. So I remember the first year, reluctantly entered a parents' race and thought I was in with a good shot when I was much younger than I am now. Uh, but I had a pair of loafers on and the grass was a little slippy and I, and I <laughs> fell over at the start and came home in, in last place. And then next year, I thought, I'm not going to let this happen to me again. So I packed some trainers in my bag. So when the parents' race was announced, I put my trainers on, went up to the start line, and they put out some hurdles, which I was slightly worried about, and even more worried when they said you have to crawl under the hurdles in the race. And I got stuck under one of the hurdles and uh, finished last again. I regret (laughs) both of those events greatly. And although I expected my kids to be ashamed of me when they were 13 or 14, they started very early when they saw me in the parents' race. And has that actually moved you to start doing an army boot camp with those type of exercises involved? I always pick up a mysterious injury near the children's sports day, which means I'm unable to compete. I have to just spare my children the disappointment of um, watching me. I'm sure that's something that many parents can empathise with. I think it's fair to say that although regret isn't a uniformly negative trait, it can help us think about the future. Too much regret can definitely compromise our choices, whether it's the FOMO of overhyped investments or perhaps more often putting off decisions because we worry we're going to make the wrong choice. 
there's a huge body of work on regret, but I think if you boil it down, there are three things that it's everyone worth knowing about. So why don't I outline them and then you can give us your perspective on these from um, an investment or funds perspective. First of all, it's worth knowing that I think that we often look to minimize regrets in our choices. Now, in the field of economics, there are longstanding debates about whether, for example, humans are naturally return maximizers, risk minimizers, and this discussion that says both of these points and everything in between. Given my professional experience working with boards and committees, I think it's fair to say that many people have a tendency to think about regret minimization what will they regret least in the future? And that's certainly supported to an extent in the literature. That most classically comes out in the example of you'd never get sacked for buying IBM. There's lots of different ways that this can play out in the investment world. Anything that jumps out to you? Yeah, I think it's really important for investors generally, and particularly investors in in mutual funds where there's a huge amount of choice available. And there is always a a fund that's performing better than the one that you actually hold. So I think regret drives you into making poor short-term choices, chasing yesterday's winning fund. Um, One thing I always talk about is that investors would be much better off if they were satisficing. So investing in something that was good enough for their objectives rather than trying to persistently optimize. And I think the optimizing behavior of investors is usually backward looking and usually based on regret of what they haven't invested in and money that they, they haven't made. So I think it's really a powerful influence on the on the choices that we end up making. Interestingly, there is some points that touch on this in the regret literature, where there is actually a strong correlation between people who feel more regret and the tendency to optimize. And in one sense, that that's fine. It can push us further and farther to think about what we're doing. The key thing that we just need to be aware of is that we don't keep on putting off choices um, and perhaps looking for extra information. I should say, we mentioned at the start about talking about our tribulations. Uh, that's one that I've definitely suffered from in, in the past. And now I very consciously say to myself, and it's a lesson that I teach to boards of just asking the very clear question, will any extra information genuinely help change our perspective on it? Or is it actually uh, an emotional guardrail that you're reaching for? So the next thing I think it's worth knowing about is thinking about action versus inaction. Normally, taking action triggers more consideration of regret and potentially putting off a choice. In, In fact, regret is a key driver of the status quo bias. One of the things that I think does impact this, though, is what the expected norm is. Uh, I know this is something we've both written about. You've done it more recently. So let me hand off to you on that point. Yeah, so to continue on a sporting theme, there was a a paper written by some researchers on uh, the behaviour of goalkeepers during uh, penalty shootouts or when facing penalty kicks. Now, the tendency of goalkeepers is to dive left or right to try and save the penalty kick. Um, but the data suggests that the optimal approach would be to stand still, to wait in the middle and let the penalty kick taker hit it straight down the middle. You're more likely to to save it than if you dive left or right. So goalkeepers were not taking the optimal course of action. When they spoke to goalkeepers about this, they said that they knew that it wasn't the optimal course of action, but they also knew that if they didn't dive to the left or the right, they would regret it because the norm, the expectation in this situation is for the goalkeeper to dive. So there's more of a cost to them from standing still and looking like they hadn't even tried than there was the diving left or right, even though 
it's a suboptimal strategy. So there'll be certain situations where the norm is to do nothing, and that's where status quo bias um, might come into effect. And there are certain situations where the norm is to do something, and that's where action bias comes into effect. And I think you see this a lot in investing and action bias I think is a powerful driver of a lot of investment behavior as well, where there is a need to do something in the portfolio every quarter because it is the expectation that investors, fund managers are doing something to the portfolio. Um, so regret can be a, an influential component into the types of choices we make and whether we decide to act or not. Yeah, I agree with all of that. The third point to know is how prone we are to regret. Uh, if we lined anyone in a team up, then we could administer a psychometric test to them and we would see differences, individual differences in, in people's proneness to regret. Now, I think whereas it's certainly true that working in a team can reduce some of that, I think um, it's definitely worth being aware of our own capacity for regret, particularly if we're in the more senior end of the the team where people are actually looking to for us to make a decision one of the easiest ways to actually manage that i say it's easy in one dimension is simply making other people aware of it so that they can compensate for that bias but i think it can be particularly detrimental uh, perhaps if you've got like a cio um, or a chair who is slightly more prone to regret because that's the type of scenario where even if everyone else isn't, it still may throw a spanner in the decision-making works. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think there's two important points for me. One is you're absolutely right that you need to be aware of your own propensity to let regret influence your decisions. So some self-awareness and reflection is really important, not about a specific decision, but just in general, how likely that might be to to moderate or shape the type of choice you make. And what I found in my experience is that, certainly from an investment perspective, that making decisions in a team or a group does dampen the influence of or the influence that regret can have on how you feel about choice and the choices you, you might make subsequent to that because of the regret that you feel. And that's because I think regret can weigh quite heavily on any given individual and that, that shared around does help. But also different people will just feel regret differently. Some It will affect some people far more than it will others. So again, some level of diversity in how you may experience and react to regret probably nets off a, a better outcome than any, any given individual. So we're touching on a solution there. Why don't we now talk about some of the things that the literature suggests might be practical solutions and combine those with some of the things that we've actually used in the real world. Again, there's there's lots of different things here, but I think there are three simple and powerful things that it's definitely worth knowing about. The first one is to do with monitoring and feedback. When we know we're going to get short-term feedback on the outcome of a decision, then that will increase prospective regret. So for example, if we're making a high stakes choice and we know that we're going to understand straight away whether it's worked or not, we're going to think far harder than if that decision is 10 years hence. So the interesting challenge is now how we think about that from a, a governance perspective. The key thing from my perspective is being able to sort out monitoring from judging the decision. So I've certainly worked in scenarios where difficult choices have to be made and data is going to be available next quarter. Actually, simply being able to say that, yes, we're going to have that data. You know, we are going to actually be looking at what the data actually says, but we're not going to be judging the outcome. 
we know in this scenario we're interested in long-term outcomes and we're not going to be considering whether that's a good or bad choice for maybe three to five years. I think that just frees people up to actually do something that might be the right choice but might be more difficult over the short term. Yeah, actually, I think one of the most profound and often ignored problems for good quality investment decisions is that, generally speaking, good investment decisions have a longer time horizon, but you get lots of what you think is feedback on short-term horizons. So you make a, you take a long-term view, but you get short-term performance feedback that leads you down the path of feeling potentially regret about the choices that you've made. So let's bring that back to thematic investment funds that I mentioned at the start of the pod. We decide not to invest in thematic investment fund because we say, on average, these things don't tend to work. They tend to be very expensive and have quite extreme performance. We make the choice not to invest, and that's a medium to long-term view that we think will play out. But although we won't really know from an outcomes perspective whether it's worked until five or seven years hence, over the next three months, next six months, that looks like a bad decision because these thematic funds or that particular fund continues to shoot the lights out. So we get this feedback, which is really just short-term market noise and doesn't really change the fundamentals of our decision. But it makes us feel terrible and it makes us question our choice and makes us wonder whether we should alter that course. So if there's a dissonance between the feedback that matters and some of the feedback that we are looking at and care about, that can lead to quite poor choices. I agree. The second key thing that the literature suggests, and I've certainly observed professionally, is that people can reduce regret if they feel they've been through a sensible process. And, and here we might contrast the situation where we're just taking a decision on the fly versus one where we know we've looked at the background research properly, we've had a clear and proper debate, we've had some input from external in, investment advisors. When we know we've actually gone through a sensible process and we're reminded of that, it's been shown to actually reduce prospective regret and again help us to do what might be the better thing for the long term but might feel harder over the short term do you use anything like that or have you seen anything like that in your work so i think decision logs are incredibly valuable tool so writing down not just the the fundamental or quantitative justification as to why you might make an investment decision but also how you're feeling at the time you make that decision and then being able to reflect on that three months down the line, a year down the line, five years down the line, and understand what the drivers were, what you perceive the drivers to be when you were in possession of that information at that point in time. The problem we tend to have is that we'll reflect on a decision three years hence, five years hence, with the benefit of hindsight, and not really understand or be aware of why we actually made that choice, because we've got all this new information that we didn't have available to us at the time. So decision logs help us to focus on the process and on what information we had at any given time. And I think as a general rule, um, we will regret things, but it's much healthier for us to regret a process than it is to regret an outcome, certainly in situations when outcomes have a very heavy dose of randomness in them. So focus on the process and where you might have gone wrong in the process, not just on whether the outcome is good or bad, because a lot of times in investment, that's not much more than a toss of a coin. Definitely agree with the power of decision log. When we can look back and actually say to ourselves, well, things went wrong, but we had actually thought about everything, 
it doesn't contaminate our future decision making when we don't have clarity about why things have actually gone wrong then it just gives the potential to bring more regret into our future decision making and again what that means is picking the easy choice or potentially not doing anything at all now the last thing that it's worth knowing about to get round those two link problems is the concept of justifiability one of the things that i touched on at the start was this issue that there's a component of personal blame attached to this you know none of us like to feel bad in that particular way um but i think we're also worried about how we have to justify things to others up the line one of the things that i think it's definitely true of from my practical experience and it says it in the literature is giving people a clear path to justifiability so for example that might be delegating the decision to a third party or referring very clearly to a third party such as an investment advisor saying we think this is the right thing to do again can help get us around status quo bias and do the tougher and perhaps more important thing yeah i think that's an important and and valuable point i think relates slightly back to the, the the comment around working in team environments as well and having justification and ratification and support from other people around a decision can help moderate some of the negative impacts that you might have from from regret so let's try and finish off with something positive things that we've learned from our own experience for me it's simply being open and sharing with people that i'm working with that i have certain tendencies and if they see them actually coming out when we're working together then to make me aware of them so that i can alter what i'm doing anything from your side yeah, I think I often overlook and neglect the importance of decision logs. They can fall down the list of presumed importance when you're going through the steps of an investment decision. But probably the most valuable thing you can do when you're making that decision in terms of turning potential future regret into something useful and quite powerful that can improve future choices is doing sensible decision logs as part of a part of a process. Agreed. Now, as you very selfishly didn't agree to do the karaoke uh, at the start. I think there's only one way that we can finish it today.